praise in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. The following is a sermon recently preached at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this message. Today's text is going to be John 20, 19 to 31, and of course I welcome you to turn to that so you can follow along. And I've entitled it, One Week Later, Doubt Becomes Faith. And there's four points that uh, I'm ultimately going to get to. Those are, who points us to faith? What are the facts and evidences that bring us to faith? What is saving faith? And who is our faith? Place in. I'm going to read the text here from John 20, 19 to 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Father, I ask that you would uh, bless this moment of opening your word, discussing it, talking about it, uh, explaining it. I ask that uh, every word that I say would be uh, correct. Keep us always from uh, error. So bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week uh, was Easter Sunday, and so on Easter Sunday, you know, you get the typical greeting, Christ is risen. And of course, we're all supposed to say, Well, I had one of my moments, so every time somebody would come up to me and say it, I said, uh, Well, I, I don't know, I, unless I see it in his hands and his, you know, his feet and I touch his wounds, I'm not going to believe. And of course, I got the typical response of a little bit of humor. But I was having one of my silly moments, and I found it kind of interesting because ultimately I hadn't planned on this text, but this is the text that I ended up coming to uh, for us today. 
Unfortunately for that response, that's a very common response today. We're finding that there is a lot of uh, unbelief in our world. We have a lot of skepticism and a lot of that skepticism has turned into atheism. And we have that running rampant within our society today as it continues to grow. But before we think of that as a very overwhelming negative, we should also be aware that the gospel is growing and producing great growth around the world at an amazing rate as well. There is um, a lot of people out there who will doubt just about anything that comes along, even to the point of absurdity, as they'll say, are we really here? Am I in a dream world? They almost ask the question that you hear uh, coming from the movie The Matrix. Is this reality or is something else going on? Doubt can produce more doubt and more skepticism, and we find ourselves in uh, kind of an endless battle. But today, um, we come to our text, and we see that Thomas had doubts. He needed to see before he could believe. And I'm, we're going we're gonna to address the difference between doubt and faith and see how Thomas uh, dealt with it, how the Lord dealt with it in his life. So let's look at the text um, as we're going to kind of march through it before we get to that point. First of all, it says, uh, on the evening of the first day of the week, first day of the week is Sunday. So it opens up when it's talking about Sunday, Jesus has risen from the dead. The disciples were together with their doors locked for fear of the Jews. For fear of the Jews. Why, why were they afraid on the resurrection morning? Well, up to that point, they had seen all their hopes and their dreams and their vision of what a Messiah was going to be dashed on Friday. They saw him crucified and tortured in a horrible manner in such a way that when they finally got into their locked doors, into their, in their rooms, they locked the doors because they were afraid that the Jewish leadership was going to come and take them away and possibly do to them exactly what they did to Christ. They were indeed living in fear. They were petrified. Um, and then it says, with the doors locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. Now this is an interesting statement because he mentions this three times. We see it here, we see it in 21, and we see it again in 26. Peace be with you. I think he says this one because at the first thought that ought to cross our mind is, what? Here's Jesus. They're astonished. If we see situations where we, in the scriptures, where angels show up, and angels all of a sudden appear to Mary or Zechariah, they're scared. Angels didn't go around as little, uh, little babies with little cute wings on. They weren't little cute things. They were, in every situation, the people were scared. And they always said, fear not. Here's Jesus, resurrected. We, we don't really know exactly what his body looked like because we know it was different because we know that they had trouble identifying him from time to time when he came back. But it was something that could have been a bit frightening, but it was also, I think, frightening in the sense of, are we looking at a ghost? What's going on here? We know you were dead. Then he says, and then it says in verse 20, after he said, peace be with you, 
he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They were overjoyed because they saw him. They, they saw that this was real. And again, he says, peace be with you. And then he says, just as I have been sent by my father, I'm going to send you out. And then he says, receive the Holy Spirit as he breathes on them. The first thing I would want to note is I don't, this is not when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. The Holy Spirit will come upon them 42 days later. We are, uh, after the ascension, we have, we have 50 days until Pentecost. All right? And he will not be ascended for 40 days. So, um, I said 42, but uh, 50 days later, he will have the, the Holy Spirit will, will come upon them at Pentecost. But this, to me, is, is, I think, a perfect passage of where he's prepping the soil now. He's got 40 days to spend with them in which he's going to get the soil ready so that it can produce a crop 160 and 30 times what was sown. And now we come to Thomas. Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. But the other disciples told him, hey, we've seen the Lord. But he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands or I put my finger here, I won't believe. Thomas is also called Doubting Thomas. Uh, I, I think of him as the, the modern-day Mr. Skeptic. Um, there's a book I read one time called, it was a story about Thomas the Unbeliever, um, or I have to see it to believe it. We've heard that. We've got to touch it. This is our world of skepticism today. We can't just take people at their word. Thomas is a wonderful example of those of us who doubt, and a wonderful example for those of us and how we are to remember not to doubt. So, why do we doubt? And what do we do with doubt as a whole? Jesus commands Thomas and the others to stop doubting and believe. So I want to look at a few verses about doubt and unbelief. You remember what James says about those who doubt. James says that if you recognize that you lack in wisdom, you should ask God to give you some wisdom. But when you ask, you must believe that God is good to his word. What he says he will do, he will do it. If you believe, then you will receive wisdom, and if you don't, then you won't. He specifically says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Or how about the children of Israel? who had to wander in the desert for 30 years, for 40 years, because they refused to believe that God could do what he said he would do. That generation's unbelief cost them the promised land. So the author of Hebrews, in interpreting this event for us, says the following, So you see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. And the people could not enter the land because they did not believe that God could do what God had said he would do. And that was given the promised land, even though the land was full of giants. Even after seeing all the plagues, 
The crossing of the Red Sea, the water from the rock, the changing of bitter, undrinkable water to sweet, drinkable water, or the feeding of them with miracle bread and miracle meat for all those years, they still disbelieved God could actually take them into a land full of giants. Deuteronomy 9.23 says, And when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up, take possession of the land that I am giving to you. Then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord and did not believe him or obey his voice. I have to, I have to be amazed at that. It, it seems from our 2020 hindsight, I want to go, you bunch of bozos. You saw all this work, amazing work and you couldn't go in here. He, he parted the Red Sea. And you can't believe that he will take care of you here. Why couldn't they see? Why couldn't they believe in God's word? Psalm 78:22, speaking of the same event, says, Because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. They didn't enter because they did not believe and did not trust his saving power. And Psalm 106:24 says, Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. Unbelief is not trusting in God who gives us a promise. We're not trusting his word when we disbelieve. Unbelief in God is like rebellion. It is despising his promises. When we who are parents tell our children to listen to our voice and they don't, it is disobedience, it is rebellion, and a despising rejection of our trustworthiness. It is the same for us with God. When he speaks, we must trust him. Why? Because he's utterly true. When I tell my, talk to my, my, my son or my daughter and I say, you know, they'll say, Dad, you didn't come through on your word on this particular thing. I have to repent to my own kids. And I say, and, and that's what I work against because I want them to seek God through me. But yet I keep saying, but God won't let you down. God won't break his word. God never breaks his word. He's always telling the truth. He never tells a fib. He never even plays a joke. He's very serious. He's joyously serious, and he's always serious about telling the truth. This is why angels have issued discipline on people who doubt their words. Listen to this in Luke 1. 18 to 20. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? This is where he's been promised that he's going to have a child. For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Gabriel's basically saying, are you kidding me? You don't, you're doubting my words? And he says, no. I won't tolerate it. You, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna suffer a little consequence for this. You're doubting my words. I stand before God. Now, what if, what if when God speaks to us and we doubt him? And here the children of Israel had doubted him. Now, that's, that's the tough end of doubt and unbelief. The Israelites got in big trouble 
while a righteous Zechariah was disciplined for his doubts. And there is a difference. Children of Israel didn't get to go into the promised land. Zechariah just simply had to be mute for about a year. Remember the story in Mark. The man who came up to Jesus and asked him to heal his demon-possessed son. This is after the transfiguration. Jesus is coming down the mountain. And the man is pleading with Jesus to help him. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us, the man said. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus did. He showed mercy toward this man. He had a small amount of belief. And oh, how he wanted to believe even more. But possibly he had been burned in life so many times. His son probably took to multiple people who said they could help him. Nobody could help him. We can help you with this. No, we can help you with this. I find as I get older, um, my childlike faith in mankind gets a little bit more tainted. You know, we get let down. We get disappointed, let down, disappointed. We all the more have to sit there and say, I'm not going to let the way people affect me determine the way I'm going to respond to God. This man had belief. He wanted to believe. And he pleaded with God, with Jesus. And Jesus showed him mercy. In Jude 1.22, Jude, the, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, must have learned this lesson because he said, be merciful to those who doubt. So although we're not supposed to doubt, and we're told not to doubt, we need to be merciful to those who doubt because we doubt. And then I want to point on a, an element of doubt that I don't think is necessarily a bad thing if it moves to belief. Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, says the following in his introduction. A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do, will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she or he fails over the years to listen patiently to his or her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts, not only their own but their friends and neighbors. It is no longer sufficient to hold beliefs just because you inherited them. Only if you struggle long and hard with objections to your faith will you be able to provide grounds for your beliefs to skeptics, including yourself, that are plausible rather than ridiculous or offensive. I'm in a currently in a conversation with uh, a friend of mine who was my best friend growing up from fourth grade all the way until we graduated in high school. And then he went off to a quote-unquote Christian college and came home an atheist and has spent now the majority of his life as an atheist. And we have been back in dialogue through email. Um, 
And I've discovered a lot of pros and cons with mailing conversations because you can't just have great quick inter interjections at moments. You have to write long, long passages of stuff and you usually miss the point that the other person wanted to articulate. But he is well studied in his, um, his philosophies. So philosophy produces great ability to doubt. We doubt everything. Like I said, is, is this podium, this pulpit, really actually here? And we can get to the point where uh, I think it was Plato said, the only thing I know is that I don't know anything. You know, and we can get to doubting, doubting everything. But the questions have been great for me because I've, I've accepted them and said, bring them on. Bring the questions on because I want to process through them. I want to know what I believe and I want to know why I believe it. And whether I'm able to convince him um, is, in one sense, pointless. I want to solidify my own belief, which only grows all the more because my foundation is in the scriptures, and the scriptures have these answers for us. So Keller's advice is excellent advice and excellent encouragement, but if all we do is blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to think about our religion, then in truth, it is nothing more than any other religion. It's simply what we do, not what we honestly believe. You see, if we just say this is what we do, and we don't think and process with the brain that God has given us, and it, it can just be a religiosity that we, we live. I want to encourage you to never fear doubt, but fear not doubting. And this is not contradictory to what we're saying. When we doubt, we cry out to God, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. Help me where I'm struggling. And when we cry out to God, if we cry out to him believing that he is good to his word, he will, just as asking for wisdom, give it. Help me in my unbelief. He will help us and he will give us greater faith. Jesus said in John 14, 1 through 11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him, referring to himself. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me 
that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus starts to shape here with, with, with his disciples. You see God. He's very clearly saying, if you see me, you see God. Believe. Believe me that I am. And if, you, and if you're struggling, all right, let's believe the evidences. What are the evidences? The miracles and the works that I do. On a parallel account, it's always good to look in the Gospels when you have, when you have parallel accounts of these, of these uh, sections of Scripture. When Jesus revealed himself after the resurrection in Mark 16, 9 through 16, it says this. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, that being Jesus, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told him and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and that she had seen him, they would not believe her. So they don't believe her testimony. Well, after these things appeared, uh, after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them. And as they were walking in the country, this was the road to Damascus, and they went back and they told the rest, but they did not believe them. Two more people giving testimony, and still no one's believing. Verse 14. Afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. He then says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. You see, we are told to believe, and we're told to believe, and Jesus rebukes them when they don't believe the testimonies that they gave. And we have in our word in the Bible the testimonies of those who have seen. And they wrote these things down for us. So Jesus, he'll, he'll be merciful on our doubts. But ultimately we're supposed to believe in a testimony. Gabriel came and gave a testimony. This is what God said. God told me to tell you this. And Zachariah doesn't believe him. So he shuts his mouth up. God, through Jesus, told the disciples and showed the disciples all these amazing miraculous signs. And now they are telling us. When we have conversations with, with each other and somebody doesn't, let's say I, I say something, maybe my wife doesn't quite believe the way you know, that I said, like maybe she's thinking, ah, you get your facts wrong or whatnot, I don't want to, this is a made-up conversation, so please don't. Um, I'm winging this here. I would be offended if she doesn't believe me. You know, trust me. I, I'm not trying to lie to you. You know, if I'm telling the truth, I want you guys to believe me. But you guys have been around the block. You know, there's lots of people there. You know, how do I, how do I trust Gordon? Gordon could, could be just lying. That's where the doubt comes in. That's where that man who had the son, he's been hurt. But when God speaks... God speaks in truth. And now we've got to be able to distinguish when God is talking and when he's not. So, these are my points. Number one, who points us to Christ? Who points us to faith? The scriptures. 
They are the testimonies of those who physically saw and spoke about Christ. They are telling us their testimonies. 3 John 1.12 says, We also add our testimony that you know that and, and you know that our testimony is true. Romans 1 that sounds, has a ring of Romans 1 that we know God is true. In 1 John 5 9 it says, For if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is even greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Throughout Revelations, John speaks about the testimony of Jesus. In John 3.33, he says about the testimony of Jesus, Whoever receives his testimony sets a seal to this, that God is true. In John 5, we are reminded that the testimonies about Moses, the prophets, who all described him very well. His miracles alone are valid testimonies. His resurrection is the greatest testimony. If that tomb is not empty, we're not here today. If that tomb has a dead body in it that rotted away, Christianity doesn't exist. The life of Jesus, facts and evidence, the life of Jesus, his miracles, his healings, his sinless life, the death of Jesus, his crucifixion, the resurrection. What is saving faith? Saving faith is certainly not credulity, believing in something that's ridiculous. Credulity is a gullibility or being naive. It's a readiness or willingness to believe something or someone, especially on slight or uncertain evidence. It's not based on solid, rational basis. It's, it's given to leaps of Logic. If somebody comes up and says, here, you can jump off this 40-story skyscraper and you'll be fine. Well, I do have reason. I have, I have a brain to think that goes, where's, where's the bag that I'm going to land in? Or, you know, to jump off just because I said, oh, I trust this guy. Well, that's, that can be credulity. I need, I need to still engage my brain. Jesus has told us to do amazing things and sometimes put ourselves in harm's way. The disciples lived out their life putting themselves in harm's way to spread the message because they saw enough evidence that said, I'm no longer going to run. I'm no longer going to be fearful. I'm no longer going to be afraid. We're not going to even bother locking the doors. We're going to live valiantly before Christ because, remember, these guys were wimps. As soon as he got arrested Friday night, they ran. They ran so quick, one guy got his rope turned off and he ran away naked. They just ran. They were not bold individuals. And something happened. And that's this one week later. Something happens, Jesus shows up and they go, oh. That's an amazing, an amazing thing that changes their life. Saving faith is ultimately putting your faith in an object, too. Faith is always in an object. If I have faith that this podium is here, it's because I can feel it, touch it, I've got, I've got trust that it actually exists. I have faith in Christ because of what Christ has said he will do for me. Christ has said that he will save me. How does belief, how does belief come about? How does one get this saving faith? 
on the road to Emmaus, they talked and they talked, and they didn't recognize him. He's walking right beside them, they don't even see him. Or they, don't, or they don't recognize that this is Jesus. Until verse 31 when it says, And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. In uh, Luke 24, it says, and, they, and then after surprising them by suddenly coming in through the locked doors in the Luke account, and while they were still disbelieving for joy, it says, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, it, Jesus comes in and they're like, I don't believe it. And it's amazing that they're in disbelief during their joy. There's a, there's, there's a line in The Empire Strikes Back where, uh, if you know the movie, Luke's ship comes down and lands on the planet and it crashes into a swamp. Luke then starts getting trained in the ways of the force and he can move little objects like this, you know, and little rocks. And then it's time to get the ship out. And Yoda says, go ahead, take the ship out. And he goes, I can't. It's too big. He goes, you know, look at me. I, I'm pretty small. Come on, you can do it. He tries to do it and it fails and goes and it sinks even worse and goes all the way under the water. And he says, you ask the impossible. And he walks away and then Yoda uses the force, raises it out, moves it on over, sets it down, and Luke comes over and goes, I don't believe it. I mean, he's, he's in amazement. He just saw it, right? He sees it, he sees the event, he goes, I, I don't believe it. And Yoda says, that is why you fail. And here are the disciples going, I don't believe it. I could just hear Christ saying, yeah, that's, that's your problem. Believe. Believe. But... And that was in verse 31 of Luke's account. In verse 45 it says, Then he opened their minds for their understanding. Faith is only going to come, and greater faith and greater belief is only going to come when our hearts and our minds can see. It's, we're talking about now a spiritual element. I can believe in this podium, because I see it physically. But we can't today anymore see Jesus. Jesus isn't here until he comes again. And he is, he is coming again. Thomas believed because he saw. And yet Jesus says that in a way we're better off. Because we believe because we see something different than Thomas saw. Thomas saw it physically. We see it spiritually. And we will only see it spiritually if we see with our, with our spiritual eyes. If you have friends that are absolutely doubting, if you have people in your family that are doubting, you have to pray that God opens their spiritual eyes, opens their understanding, because they can't, we're not going to see, God, as much as I'd like to see Jesus standing right here, that's not going to happen until he comes in a second coming. So be like James says, pray believing that God, help me in my unbelief. Help my, my atheistic friend to believe me. You open his eyes. And I believe, God, that you can do this because I believe you're truthful to your word and that you will do the things that you say you can do. Make that a point in our lives. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon that was recently preached at Christ Church of Livingston County. 
If you would like further information about anything in this message, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.